You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Thank you for joining us this week as we continue our teaching series on the book of Revelation. Good morning. Whoop. Morning, gang. How is everybody this morning? Whoa, front row's awake. Yes. Okay, did anybody just barely make it here today? Be honest. All right, all right, nice. Yeah. I can relate. Um, Hey, we've got a great message this morning, and I'm looking forward to it. We are continuing in our series in Revelation, and we have this weekend, uh, this message today, and then next weekend... Uh, Aaron is going to be over here preaching, and we're wrapping up the Revelation series. And so uh, after that, we're diving into some really cool stuff about vision, and then we have a neat sermon coming up in a few weeks with Aaron and Charlie that they've done uh, a few times over the years that I've had the pleasure of seeing, and it's called The Blessing. It's a really cool sermon. So when you hear about that one coming up, that's an awesome one to uh, invite friends and family, especially families with kids. And so it's a, it's a cool service to see and uh, participate and be a part of. So that's what we've got coming up. So this morning, as we continue into this series in Revelation, we have been going through Revelation, looking at it uh, heavily from the lens of context, right? We've been looking at it going, it's really a, a, a real book, uh, a letter actually, written by John to real people at a time in history And at that time in history, when those people would have received this letter, it would have meant something to them at that time, right? And that's been kind of our our hermeneutic or the way we've been studying Revelation has been that it was a real letter written to real people at a real point in history and that in their context, it meant something for them then. It wasn't a Nostradamus letter that... John wrote some weird words to guys in the first century churches that they had no understanding of and it meant nothing and it applied for 2,000 or 3,000 years later, right? That seems sort of weird. Like he actually wrote it to them and that he drew on imagery and messages and stories that they were familiar with from Old Testament prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel, right? And this morning as we get into Revelation 20, we could continue in that same vein. We could keep going down the context vein. We could keep looking at it like John was really writing this stuff in chapter 20 to real people in this first century churches. We could talk to you about how the stories in chapter 20 are coming right out of imagery from Daniel chapter seven and the people in those churches would have known that, right? But there's something that comes up in chapter 20. There's a concept or an idea that's introduced in chapter 20 in the text that is really significant. Because when people read Revelation, this is the chapter, and these are some of the uh, areas where this idea is brought up, that they make everything in Revelation about this stuff. And they try to make everything in the book of Revelation tie back to a couple of phrases or a couple of sentences or mentions that are going to come up in chapter 20. And they talk about it in a really different way, right? So 
what they do, most people don't understand the context that we've been learning about as we've been going through Revelation, right? And I know uh, for a lot of folks, as we've gone through Revelation in the series, having lobby conversations and hearing conversations outside of church, that people are going, you know, I wasn't that crazy about a Revelation series. I wasn't sure. I was sort of like, "Eh, I don't know if I'm going to really like this. But I've actually learned a lot. Like, I've heard that comment frequently. It really has helped me understand Revelation. Like, some of it I still don't wrap my brain around, but I'm starting to learn that it really was written by John to these real people in these churches and that it meant something to them. And I had never really thought of that before, right? A lot of people don't have that experience. A lot of people try to make revelation about the future and end times and they try to make it um, about something that it's not oftentimes. So what we're going to do is we're going to dig into a a little bit of revelation. We're going to introduce this concept. And then we're going to kind of pick it apart and look at it from a a different perspective, the way that most people look at it. And I'll explain why we're going to do that as we go along. So let's look at Revelation chapter 20. Let's take a look at the first one up here. This is in your notes, and we're only doing a small chunk of the passage today, and you'll see why as we go through it. It says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended, and after that he must be released for a little while. Now, what happens when religious people, other Christians that maybe don't have the teaching that we've had and the understanding of context that we've had, what happens when they talk about Revelation is they camp out on this thousand-year deal, this millennial it's called, and what they do is they talk about the doctrine of eschatology, Now, please, you guys help me out. Everybody just give it a little, (gasps) right? Just give me, right? Doctrine of eschatology, that sounds exciting, right? Okay, let's break it down because it sounds way more complicated than it is. So if you're not familiar with this, doctrine is this. It's just a set of beliefs that you hold to and you study and teach about them. So you all have a doctrine of fast food, Right? Who's in the fast food is awesome doctrine camp? You have a set of beliefs that it's convenient, it's great, it's fast, it's cheap, and for a dollar you can fill your belly, right? So some people believe certain things about fast food and they teach them to their family and friends. You have a doctrine of fast food. There's far more people, raise your hand if you're in the doctrine of fast food's terrible, it's expensive, it's not good for you, it's bad for you, you know, right? So you have a set of beliefs about fast food and you, you have a doctrine of fast food, right? So that's all doctrine is, just something you believe about stuff that you teach other people about. Eschatology is this. It's just a big word made of two small Greek words that mean literally the last times and the study of. So like literally, it's just the study of the last times. So for when Christians or religious people talk about the doctrine of eschatology, all they're saying is, I want to talk about like the beliefs the church has about how the, this is all going to end. 
We just want to talk about the, how this is going to end. And so what happens when we talk about Revelation is they try to make it about this thousand-year period, this when is it going to end, what's going to happen, and then we get these other terms that come up always in Revelation or end times conversations. We get these other terms that come up. Okay, These are... Uh, the three Ps, some people call them. They're premillennial, postmillennial, panmillennial. And you're sort of like a lot of people, when you, you might hear that come up in a Bible study or a small group you're in or a conversation you're having with a fellow Christian. And if you're like me, and I have been a lot of times over the years, I hear something like that and I sort of just am like, I just kind of check out and it flies over my head. I'm like, I don't know what they're talking about. I've been there. And so then I sort of feel foolish, like, is that something I should know about, right? So let me break it down for you in as simple a terms as we can. This is another thing that sounds really complicated. It sounds like something that you, as a Christian, you should have your, you should really know this. And we're going to hear a lot about what Jesus talks about kind of the heart behind this. But before we do, let's make sure we kind of understand how simple these things are. So let's look at this. Uh, the first thing up here is the, the thousand years. Oh, sorry. Here's the three parts that uh, are, are in there. This will help you. Um, the rapture is a time when the church will be gathered up to heaven to be with Jesus. Okay, so that's a thing. The next piece is tribulation. So there will be a time when there is this horrible season on earth and it's described in several places throughout the Bible and the way it's described is it's really, really, really bad and it's the thing that a lot of people like to camp out on and there's a million Facebook posts about it every time there's a hurricane or an eclipse or a tornado or a war. It's like this is the thing. This is the tribulation. That's where people are getting that stuff from. Okay? So let's, let's throw it up here. The next one up, we've got the thousand year period, which is introduced in Revelation 20, which is, it's called the thousand years or the millennium, the millennial reign of Christ. Some people refer to it like that. And what people, how people describe what they think is going to happen in the end is based on this little analogy we're going to show you. Okay, so let's take a look at the next one here. So you've got the rapture and the tribulation. Let's throw them up there in, in kind of a timeline. We'll look at the next one. Oh, I got those. I skipped out of order. We'll go to the next one. There we go. Okay, so somebody that believes that the church is going to be snatched up to heaven before the thousand-year period, and then the tribulation, these horrible times are going to happen after, they believe this. They would call themselves, I'm premillennial post-tribulation. And if somebody says that to you, you're like, yeah, I'm hungry for lunch. Like, it doesn't make a lot of sense it, like, sometimes that just doesn't click. And I'm just telling you this, you'll find it's not nearly as important as it sounds, but I'm telling it to you because I don't want you to glaze over when you hear these terms. I want you to be educated and informed so that you have an accurate worldview about what Revelation is and what it says and why John wrote it. And when somebody talks about these things, you can guide them back to the right conversation. 
So let's look at the next one. There's a couple others. We just gave you some examples. So what's that one? Somebody thinks pre-millennial, pre-tribulation. So they think before the millennial, there's going to be the rapture, then the tribulation, and then this thousand-year period. Okay, I think we got one more. You kind of get the gist of it. You could, it's sort of like the shell game. You could put wherever you think. And people read Revelation and other uh, scriptures like they are... Uh, you know, they try to look at them like the little decoder ring you used to get in cereal boxes, and they try to figure out how, like, what magical order this is going to go in, as if somehow knowing that will make a difference in their life. Like, they would have the answer. And what I want us to focus on today is why. Why do people want to know this? Why do people want, to ha- want their position to be right? Why do they want to have this finger on the pulse of when and how it's going to end? And I would say this. It's because we want to control the sense of urgency. We want to know when is it important to get our affairs in order. Do I have... 10 years of fun and freedom and flexibility and safety ahead of me? Do I have lots of time left or is it tomorrow? It's kind of like the person we've heard stories if you've been in church long. I don't know if these are real stories, but I've heard them used as examples of like the, the person that says, you know, I'm going to have fun now because I know, you know, I'll always be able to confess and become a Christian on my deathbed or at the end, like, I'll do that later, but now I'm, I'm living now, you know, or they'll joke like, I'm working on my testimony, right? But they think that they'll have this, they'll know the time. And I think that's the heart behind people wanting to know what's going on in Revelation and why so many people try to make Revelation say what they want it to say about when things are going to end and how they're going to end as opposed to looking at it in context like we've been learning to. But Jesus had a lot to say about when things were going to end and how they were going to end. And so what a better source could we possibly have than to go straight to what Jesus taught his guys and see what he had to say about how it was going to end. He knew this was going to be a big deal. He knew it was a big deal with his guys. He knew it was going to be a big deal for people in general. And he taught extensively on it. When you find that Jesus tells multiple stories and multiple occasions and different writers of the Gospels all record them, that's usually an indicator that it's a really significant point, right? John said at the end of his gospel that Jesus taught so many things and did so many miracles that all the books in the world couldn't record like what went on in his life. He's giving you this, this like, like everything that happened was amazing. I mean, it was like volumes of stories. So the ones that we have are significant, that that's the ones we got, Right? And Jesus' guys had come to him on different occasions that this happened, and they wanted to know, when are you coming back? When is it going to end? When do we got to be ready? What do we got to do to be ready? And Jesus answered them in the most straightforward, 
plain speaking way that he could. This is out of Matthew 24 and 25 we're going to be camping out in. And he said to him that it's not for you to know the hour or the day. Not even the angels in heaven will know that, nor will the Son of Man. Only the Father in heaven will know. And it doesn't get much more straight than that. Jesus looked his guys in the face and said, essentially had a heart to heart with them. You guys are fretting and worrying and stressing about something that I don't even have the answer to. But he didn't just leave them hanging. He did what he does so well. He rolls into stories because I love how Jesus taught. He taught with stories because it helped people find themselves in the story. It was like, I can connect to that person. I can relate to that person. And so Jesus rolled right into these stories with them to help them understand what he wanted them to do in the meantime. Right? And so he gets... He gets them circled up and they're talking and he's telling them about it, that nobody's going to know the time, not even him, only the Father in heaven. And he says, he says, guys, the kingdom of heaven is like, and this is me, my paraphrase, so read it for yourselves. Matthew 24 and 25, homework. But this is the Thad paraphrase, right? He goes like this. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like a guy that had this huge farm, huge farm and ranch. Big outfit, lots and lots of employees, all sorts of equipment and all kinds of things to be responsible for and take care of, but he needed to leave town. And so he went and found you, go like this, you, yourself. This is who he's talking to in the story, right here. He went and found you. And he said, I'm gonna put you in charge while I'm gone. And I need you to take care of my affairs and make sure things run according to plan. I've got business to take care of out of town. And so he went and left and went out of town to take care of his business. Well, it seemed like he was gone a lot longer than you expected. And so the longer he was gone, the more comfortable you got kind of filling in that role. And you started to take advantage of the role you were in. And you started to be abusive and a bully to the other people that worked for him. And you started to kind of get a little bit too big for your britches. And then you went from your own house to his house and, and you started to take advantage of the position he had put you in. And you're strolling through his house and then poof, one day just when you least expected it, the owner comes home and he catches you not doing what he left you to do. He catches you not fulfilling the job he asked you to do. And then Jesus pulls it back to reality, snaps back out of the story, and he looks at him and he says, you guys need to understand this is so important. Don't be like the guy in this story that the master left in charge because it didn't end well for this guy. In that story, that guy was cut to pieces and thrown out. Jesus is saying, don't get caught not being faithful with what you were left to do. 
And I love how Jesus teaches. I imagine that he looked around, and you know how when you're telling a story, even to your kids or to your friends or something, and you can tell sometimes like a couple of them get it right away because you can see their body language and the way their eyes are resonating, and then some of them have that look on their face like they have no idea what you're talking about. You ever told one of those stories? Jesus told stories like that. And I think he was looking around and just saw that this is too important for you guys not to get. Not like some of you, but all of you have to get this. And so he goes, let me tell you another story. And he goes, this story is about a bridegroom and some virgins getting ready for a wedding and a wedding feast. And he said, pay attention. I hope you get the point in this one. So he's like, the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a bridegroom who is coming to get ready for a wedding feast. And there were 10 virgins. Five of them were wise. Five of them were foolish. And the foolish ones didn't gather any oil for their lamps. But the wise ones did. Well, as they waited for the bridegroom later and later into the day, it went into the night and they got tired and fell asleep. Way late into the night, they're awoken by a shout. Hey, come out, come out. The bridegroom is on the way. He's coming. And they woke up at a start and to light their lamps and get ready to go. And the five foolish ones looked to the five wise ones and said, hey, can you share some oil with us? We didn't bring any. And the five wise ones say, we won't have enough for ourselves and you to light the way for us to see where we're going. If you need oil, you better hurry back to town and get some. And so the five foolish ones hurry off to town to run and get oil to fill their lamps. And the five wise virgins trim the wicks on their lamps and they fill their thing and they go out to meet the bridegroom. And while the five foolish ones, whoops, while the five foolish ones were in town, the bridegroom came, invited them in, and they went in for the wedding feast and shut the door. Well, the foolish ones come and they knock on the door and they're saying, hey, we're back, we're back, let us in. But they hear from inside, the Lord calls back to him and says, go away, I don't know you. And Jesus is telling these stories to help his guys who were just before that going, when are you coming back? When is it going to end? What do we have to do? What is the day? When is the hour? And he's like, you're not going to know story one, story two. And I think I just, this is just, this is just pure speculation. But I just imagine Jesus going, there's still somebody here that doesn't get it. I need to tell one more story. Because this is one of those points for, for you, my people that are going to follow me, that are going to live this out when I'm gone. This is one of those things you just can't miss. And so he goes, let me tell you one more story. A lot of people are familiar with this story. He says, I'm going to tell you a story. This story is about a guy that had a, a huge ranch, business, this big conglomerate thing, right? I get the picture from this story that this guy was loaded. And Jesus says it's like this, the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like this guy that has this great business, this big ranch, and he needs to leave 
for a season to do business elsewhere. And so he calls his servants to him and he tells his first servant that I'm gonna give you five talents to take care of while I'm gone. And talents, by the way, just to give you some reference for this, a talent was equal to 20 years wages for a common laborer. So what did he just give him? Who's good at math? How many years worth of wages? 100 years worth of wages, right? Do you think that caught that guy off guard? I mean, this is a big deal. So he gives the first servant five talents. He calls the second servant to him, and he gives the second servant two talents, and he calls the last servant to him, and he gives him one talent. And then the master goes away to take care of his business elsewhere, and right away the first servant gets to work. He starts to invest the, the talents, the money. He's trading cows or bartering lentils or whatever they, you know, whatever, right? He was, he was hustling is the point. And he was faithful with the instructions he was given. And in no time at all, he's doubled the money. The second servant, Jesus said, did likewise. He also went right to work and did, it, did whatever he needed to do and doubled the money. The last servant who had the one was fearful, and he went out behind a barn, he dug a hole, and he buried the money in the ground. And after a lot of time had passed, the master comes back, and he calls the servants together to kind of sort things out. All right, everybody, what happened when I was gone? How'd you guys do? How are my affairs? And the first servant comes back to him, and the first servant says, uh, I, I went right to work and I think things went pretty good and here's 10 talents. You'd given me five, but I, I made it into 10. And the master, I imagine with just a grin on his face, puts a hand on his shoulder and just says, man, good job. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. He says, you are faithful with a little. I will put you in charge over much. He says, enter into the joy of your master. The next one comes up and he says, hey, how did you do? And he says, I, I also did pretty well. I took the two talents that you had given me and I turned them into four. And, and the master reaches out to him as well and says, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful with a little. I'll put you in charge of much. And he says, enter into the joy of your master. The last servant who he had given one comes to him. And before the master could even get a word out, the, the guy's almost making a case for himself, it seems like. And he comes to him and he says, I, I knew you were a hard master. I knew you were a hard worker, a shrewd businessman. You, you reaped where you didn't sow and you gathered seed where you didn't scatter it. And, and, and I was afraid of what was going to happen when you came back. And so I hid your money so that it wouldn't get lost. So here's the talent that you gave me to start. And the master looks at him and said, you wicked and lazy servant. He says, give me that talent. I'm going to give it to the guy that turned five into ten. And Jesus, he pulls his guys kind of back out of the story to reality. And he's, he's kind of summing it up for him at the end. He goes, don't you guys see what's going to happen? What's going on here? In the end, those who have been given much and done something with it will be given more. And those who had something but did nothing, it'll be taken away. 
He's going over and over and over these stories and giving them different examples of different circumstances. Like any good teacher or good storyteller was, he's like, I know I have a varied audience that has different life experiences and different stories and different things that make sense to him. And he tells all these different stories to one end, to make sure they understand. It's not about when it's gonna end or how it's gonna end or what sign you might see leading up to it. It is about, will you be faithful today with the instructions you were left with? We've all heard the saying, uh, get caught red-handed, right? Get caught red-handed, like if you're a kid, it was like you got caught red-handed with a candy bar and your mom thought you were gonna steal it, and maybe you were, and you were busted. Anybody ever got caught red-handed for anything? I know, that's a fun one to raise. Don't raise your hand, just kidding. I would love for us to like rebrand that in our brain, right? For us as Christians, as believers, I would love for us to think of this. I would love for us to think, I want to get caught red-handed being a Christian when the time comes, when God returns, whether it's tomorrow or a thousand years from now or five minutes from now or a year from now or whenever, for those of us that are alive when Christ returns, our heart's desire should be that we are caught red-handed in the act of faithfully following the instructions God left us. Like we get actually caught in the act of being Christians. that Jesus gets tongue twisted for saying a thousand times to each of us, well done, good and faithful servants. Like he's just, I, I couldn't say it enough. That's us. Like how awesome would it be to be caught that way? These lessons matter for us and they matter for us as we're learning about revelation because we have conversations with people that talk about end times, apocalypse, where is it going, when's it gonna end, what are the signs, what are this, and rather than blow them off as crazy or blow them off as we don't understand them or blow them off as that I don't get what they're talking about, we now know what we need to know to engage people who have an interest in God and maybe are actually Christians that just have a misunderstanding of revelations, we can actually engage them in a conversation that points them back to the things that Jesus cares about. Not to beat them up and say, oh, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, but to go, I actually love you and care about you, and I, I would love to help you know what Jesus cared about. Could I tell you a story? Jesus told this story, and you could do the same thing I just did. Everybody in here could tell a story. How cool would that be? Here's the thing. Jesus left us with some great instructions of what to do, what it actually looks like. He didn't just say, be faithful, you know, it seems like a lot of those stories, the point, the emphasis is on uh, what not to do. Don't get caught not following through. Don't get caught not being faithful with the instructions you were given. And here's the reality. Um, there's the positive side to that. And Jesus shares with us what it looks like when we are caught 
doing what we're supposed to be doing. So let's read through it together. This one's in your notes. It's going to be up on the screen. Um, Matthew 25 at the end of it. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. Uh, And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on the left and the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me and I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous ones, the ones he was just talking to, will answer him saying, Lord, they're answering him from a, a, a point of disbelief, like, really? When, when did we do that? And they would say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? Uh, when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, so you did it to me. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And then these, the ones that he's talking to here, they answer from a different tone of voice. They answer sort of uh, defensive More like, Lord, I mean, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and we didn't minister to you? And then he'll say to them, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away uh, into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Too many people try to make revelation about something it's not. They try to make it about some riddle to unlock when the end will come or how it's going to end or what's going to happen or what sign to look for. And they completely lose sight of the fact that revelation was a real letter written by John to real churches in the first century and it meant something to them then and there. And yes, it is in the Bible. And yes, there are things that we can glean and learn and principles and truths that we can pull from it that are applicable today. But it was not the Nicodemus tell the future letter. It was about John writing to encourage the readers of that letter to stay faithful like we've been hearing about, to endure even through persecution, to hang in there. Yes, it's going to end, John said, and he used these crazy apocalyptic stories and images of dragons and beasts and bottomless pits with chains like a great storyteller. He used imagery that painted this picture for his people. And it tied into other stories they were already familiar with from their Jewish upbringing. Yes, it's going to end. 
But until then, hang in there. Don't lose heart. Stay the course. And it should not shock us or catch us off guard that the message that John weaved through the book of Revelation to these people in the first century is the same message that Jesus taught. Jesus didn't say it's wrong to care about the end. Yes, it's going to happen. Yes, the time will come. But what did he camp out on? He spent time helping his guys, his disciples, and those that followed him learn how to stay faithful day in and day out with what they were entrusted. In a minute, we're going to kind of wrap that up and make a little more sense of like what that looks like for us as a church. Kind of bring it home, okay? Right now, we're going to have the communion servers pass out the, the communion. And if you're new with us at Real Life, what we do is uh, we call it an open table. That just means that if you believe in Jesus and you want to celebrate his death, burial, and resurrection, then we would love for you to take communion with us. And as they pass them out, if you would hold the elements... And then uh, in a few minutes, we'll take communion together, okay? Now, if you were here last weekend, I was talking about the implications. Anybody remember that? I kind of phrased the implications like nuggets, takeaway points. Anybody remember that? I know Kermit does. I stole his idea about nuggets, so I'll admit it. It was a good idea. When we get to this part of the sermon where we talk about the implications at the end, we talk about what we want you to take home from the sermon. Like, what, is, what does it mean? It's important at this point every week as communion's being served that we spend a little bit of time to chew on these things at the end. Because here's the deal. Jesus wants us to hear the same message that he wanted his disciples to hear. This is the message everybody needs to hear as they learn and study about Revelation. And for people that are passionate about study of end times. And for all of us, who are Christians and know that one day the end will come, this is the message Jesus wants us to hear. Yes, it's going to end. I don't know when that is. Jesus told us, guys, only the Father in heaven knows when that is. So until that time comes, stay faithful. Don't lose heart. Be encouraged. Follow through with the faith that you had in the beginning. He gives this awesome example to us that, it, that should be just a perfect example for us as a church at the end of Matthew 25 when he, he is essentially he's saying, because this is the deal, church. When you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as much as you love yourself, when you do that, it looks like this. For us as a church, this is what it should look like when we're loving God well, loving each other well, and loving people around us well. It should be evidenced by this. 
that when people are hungry, we feed them. When people are thirsty, we give them a drink. When people are naked, it says, the point they're trying to make is when people are just without. They're broken, they're humbled, they're struggling, we provide for them. When we meet a stranger, whether it's in the lobby or at the grocery store or coming into your workplace, we welcome them like friends and family. When people are sick, we care for them. When people are in prison, we go visit them and we care. That's what it looks like to be a church that loves the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and loves other people just as much as we care about our own self. That would be an awesome church, would it not? Would you guys want to be a part of something like that? You ever hear of anybody that was a stranger that didn't feel very welcomed or friendly at a church they went to? Maybe that's happened to you. Have you ever been sick and felt like nobody cared? Let's be a church that loves each other well and loves other people out there just as much as we love our best friend or our sister that we're so close to, or our brother that we're tight with, or our dad that we look up to. Let's pour out that friendship and adoration on other people in this town and light this place up with the love of Jesus, right? Each week, we have the opportunity to even talk about this and to do that and to care about it because of what Christ did for us on the cross. And that's why each week we take time to celebrate communion together. Remember what he did for us. Remember that he didn't leave us here alone, but that he sent his spirit to help us figure out how to do this loving each other stuff. So this morning as we get ready to finish up with worship, we'll take communion together. Just like Jesus did on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he shared it with his guys and he told them that this represented his body. And let's eat it together in remembrance of him. And then he took the cup and he told them that this was the cup of the new covenant. And often as we get together, we should do it in remembrance of him. We're going to finish with worship. Your implications in your notes are just little blanks. They're just really simple little things. The point is this. What does it look like for us to be engaged, to practice, to be faithful with what Jesus has entrusted us to at work or at home or with our family or during our hobbies. That's why those little things are there in your notes. So this week as you're going through your devotions or small group time or dinner table conversations or coffee date with your wife, talk about how are we doing? Are we being faithful? If we got caught today, would we get caught red-handed with a good, a well-done, good and faithful servant? Or do we need a little kick in the rear with each other to help each spur each other along in our faith? Let's finish with, with some worship together, guys. 
We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com.